Hello, and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon-Miller at LizLit on Twitter. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitter. And happy Monday after Thanksgiving. Uh, hopefully, Ben, how are you feeling? You're feeling well-rested, feeling ready to go? I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. I feel like I'm you know got a good a good amount of food in me to energize me through the winter. Like a bear, I'm gonna start hibernating soon, so it's good. How about you? How'd it go? Pretty good, pretty good. Got it. Got a ch- t- some time to catch up with family, some time to catch up with screeners. It was the perfect holiday. <laughs> that is that is ideally how Thanksgiving will always go. Yes, and of course the thing this year was that catching up with screeners was v- vaguely essential because I have. I had some top. T- I have top ten lists due as a preliminary to our eventual master best of 2015 list that will happen in a couple weeks' time, and I still do not feel ready for it. Oh no, I'm. I feel more overwhelmed than ever, and I mean, let's not start the whole "is there too much TV" discussion again. But I mean, geez, there's <laughs> there's a lot of television to uh to to fit in before I feel ready to make those judgments. And so that kind of leads us to our discussion today which is what is essential to making a top 10 list. And I I I should give Ben credit for actually coming up with the coherent version of my flailing yesterday about uh so we should do something top 10 list top 10 list driving me crazy. No can no can think must make list. <laughs> well, Liz is being a little modest, as always. She basically came up with kind of the specific points, and then I just was able to look at it from afar and say, oh, this is a good headline, or this is a good thesis statement, or however you want to present that. But yeah, going uh, going into these year-end lists, which, I mean, frankly, there's a ton of them on IndieWire, and then obviously a ton of them throughout the internet. Um, and when you're looking at them, and when you're, you know, especially when you're looking at ones from people that you trust or people that you want to know their specific opinions from, um, hopefully that means that they're putting a lot of thought into it and they're putting a lot of effort into these lists. Uh, and as easy as they may seem to knock out, they're actually incredibly difficult in a, in many more ways than just finding the time to see everything. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's I think a good place to start is the concept of. Do you feel do you feel Ben that you have to see every single show before you feel before you can actually make a top 10 list? I don't feel like I have to see literally literally every single show, uh but I do feel an extraordinary amount of pressure as we discussed before about seeing, you know, very specific shows, shows that, you know, either garnered a certain amount of buzz or that certain people told me were extremely good and I missed out when they first aired. Or, you know, just, just those shows that, you know, maybe you didn't have time for, but you suspect could be appearing on other lists. And, I mean, I think that's one of the greatest fears for anybody who writes a list, even if you're just posting a list on your own personal Twitter feed or, you know, you've, you've got your own blog or whatever you're doing. Your biggest fear is that somebody's going to call attention to something that you just completely forgot uh, either to watch or that you forgot to include. And, and you want to try to eliminate that as much as possible by seeing as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, every list... Every list starts with, we start with 250 shows, we narrow it down to 10. There's going to be total omissions. There's always going to be the person, like, there's always, and there, there's always very specific people, there's very specific shows that come up in the, oh my God, I can't believe you overlooked this. Like, uh, Hannibal last year, I remember, got a lot of, oh man, why didn't you include this? You know, I suppose Hannibal didn't air this year, that sort of thing. Those, <laughs> sort of, that's, that, those sorts of snarky comments. And, you know, sometimes, and, and the thing, and the, there, it's so, it's always in, so interesting though because there are shows that 
I feel like I leave off lists because I actively feel they don't belong on my top 10 list. Like they are not my shows. And they're shows that I just don't feel passionately enough about to even have that consideration for them. Yeah, it's a very, that's one of the very difficult aspects of making a list uh, in general is, is, is kind of deciding how you're going to go about it. Uh, there's a lot of different strategies to do it. Some people just say, okay, well, this is the best and that's all that matters. Other people want to draw, draw attention to like personal favorites or find ways to kind of fit certain shows in there, even if maybe they gave them a grade, uh, you know, half a grade lower than what they gave another show, or maybe something grew on them over the year, and then you have to answer to those same commenters who are saying things about, you know, why did you give this an, an A minus and this an A, but you gave the A minus show on your top 10 list. Yeah, I mean, all of those kind of factors, you know, definitely weigh heavily on your mind when you're creating a list. And, you know, for me, I I try to aim more towards what the best is, just just in my mind, if I think this show is better than that show, I'm going to put it on the list. But, you know, I also am pretty good at convincing myself that my personal favorites are also the best. So that works out well for me. And the leftovers as well. <laughs> yes. I I don't know if that will make the cut this year, Liz. It's very competitive. So, you know, we'll see where it ends up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think... I mean, this, of course, kind of draws us into the existential question of what makes the sh a show a, the best show versus another show. Oh, my God. And that's incredibly difficult to, because for me, you know, there, there's a lot of people who get into and I've seen a, headlines pop up in the last months even talking about why critics shouldn't be objective because, you know, it's their job to be subjective and, and tell you what they think about things and why they feel the way they feel. And that feeling is very individualistic and you want that individual voice. But at the same time, for me, especially when it comes to making lists, especially when it comes to picking the best of 2015, I want to turn that subjective opinion, that subjective reaction into objective reasoning. I want to have some sort of base behind me that says, you know, the the acting, the cinematography, the writing, um, you know, across the board, those things that you can really just look at and kind of give an, a somewhat objective reaction to that will weigh into making, you know, the difference between what you really liked and what's the best. And I mean, an example of this, since we're obviously talking in, in a lot of uh, over like broader means, a specific example of this is like Aquarius is a show that I really enjoyed. I thought Aquarius was a lot of fun in those very specific scenes where David Duchovny was punching hippies. Um, yes. But uh, I would not put it on my best of 2015 list. Spoiler alert, that will not be on my list. Yeah. Because I don't think that the overall writing of the show was, you know, a top 10 level caliber. I don't think necessarily the other performances outside of Duchovny were that remarkable. Um, so yeah, that's that's something where, as a personal favorite, if somebody wanted to talk to me about Aquarius for a while, I'll talk to you about it. I'll have a good time. I'll recommend it. But I don't think it's going to make the cut. Yeah, and there's also, like, there are people I would recommend the show Man in the High Castle to, and there are people I wouldn't recommend the show Man in the High Castle to. Spoiler alert, that one's not on my best of list, but I did find it really interesting. And I think there are specific people in my life and specific people out there in the internets who would really enjoy watching it. And that's a good point, too, in the sense of, 
kind of like the Oscars, which which you know sees a lot more of this, uh, you know, kind of kind of just is more accepted, I guess, when you when you see this kind of trend. In that those shows that get released later in the year are obviously fresh in critics' minds, so maybe they're more likely to sneak onto that list just because you just saw it and it made a big impact. And like you're saying, The Man in High Castle is a, is a great example because that show got a lot of strong reactions. And usually strong reactions make things memorable at the very least. And if it was a positive strong reaction, that show might sneak onto a few extra lists. Even if it had come out in April, maybe people would have given it the like had the time to kind of set it, you know, have had a better perspective on it, set it back a little bit, and maybe it wouldn't have made the list. So right. there's those end of year shows that come out of that really come out of nowhere and, and make the cut. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, Ben. Is there anything on your on, on on if you have this list? Maybe you don't have it like formally written out. But is there anything you know that you need to watch before you start? Before we dig into the process of IndieWire's top ten list making. Oh my God, Liz! There's so much that I have to watch. The first one, the first one, first and foremost uh, on the list is Jessica Jones. Um, I have not had a chance to watch Jessica Jones yet, at least enough of it to, to make a judgment. And I know it's a very well-reviewed show. I know it's very close to your heart. Um, pretty sure it's on your top 10 list. Please. It's at least on one of them. Yeah. And yeah, so but, I, I, that's on the list. That's high on mine. But actually that's Jessica Jones, I think is going to be a really interesting show in, in, in this sort of analysis coming up, because like you said, especially when you talk about subjective versus objective reviews, um, I think what the reason Jessica Jones is on my list in a way is is I think getting critical reaction in a way that uh, Daredevil did not is that the show the show thematically is a lot stronger than Daredevil is. I think I, if you ask me to tell you what the co- what the central themes of Daredevil were in season one, I could I, I might need to rewatch that entire first season in order to give you a decent answer. With Jessica Jones, it's an immediate clear thing and. It's also the subjects of trauma and PTSD are so personal that I've seen some really interesting writing about, you know, the way that the show handles uh, handles that sort of uh, handles that issue uh, from women writers and men male writers uh, that, you know, is like almost personal essays. Like this is how this show captures something that means a lot to me. So I think and so does that make Jessica Jones objectively a better show than, say, you know, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which might have might not have the same might not gather the same sort of reaction. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, and I mean, especially because Jessica Jones, I think, is also a really is a really well made show in a lot of respects. But there are aspects of it that aren't flawless. Again, I think I mentioned Robin last time. Screw that character. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she is objectively bad, and uh, she it's it's a funny thing. And I think you're bringing up a good point in, in kind of where the subjectivity comes in and cannot be ignored when you're making a list, and, and that's in the ranking process. That's in, you know, I mean, yeah, it might make the cut or not, and you might have, it might be right there at number 11, or just putting something at 6 instead of 7, and why you put it at 6 instead of 7. I mean, those, a lot of that's going to come down to subjective reasoning, because so much television is so great and so close to one another in that greatness that you know it's going to kind of be your gut reaction it's going to kind of be like okay well i just think i liked jessica jones a little bit more than kimmy schmidt i think i just liked that season more or the other way around or you know obviously with a bunch of other shows but that's something that you that makes it really hard when you get down to it when you've narrowed down your list to 15 maybe even 20 shows and you've got to cut it down to 10 um you know you've you've got to kind of weigh that 
that side of things. And you can you can try to you know make up your pros and cons list and see where you come out and try to be as objective about it as you can. But in the end, a lot of it will be purely reaction based when you're doing the ranking. Right. It's worth mo- noting. I kind of picked Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt at random when I was making that comparison, but. That show is also about a, a victim of trauma, but that show did not, I don't think, generate the same level of critical reaction in terms of talking about how that trauma affected that character and how that trauma affected the viewer. So I think actually that comparison worked actually pretty well. Uh, but does that, well, make, does, that, does that make Jessica Jones a better show is still the question. Uh, no, yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, and it's, it's something where if you looked at it as, you know, okay, Jessica Jones is a drama and it's dark and it's, it has, you know, very serious moments in it. So that might make you make it, make it more conducive to having that difficult conversation. Whereas Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt deals with, you know, similar issues, but because it's so lighthearted, um, funny, you know, just pop culture obsessed, like, like there's a lot of things going on where if you talk about Kimmy Schmidt, maybe you just want to stay in a more positive mindset and you don't want to dig in to that traumatic backdrop. That's not necessarily a slight against it. That's just kind of maybe one way to look at why this started a discussion, why this didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting way to kind of weigh things when you're when you're making a list. And it also triggers the comedy versus drama question. Hooray. Oh man, yeah, my favorite. My fa- I'm I'm just gonna say it. I almost always side with comedy. I but, but, almost oh, you, always. You do. almost have to because just to like keep things in balance because drama always dominates these sorts of things. It's very it's very easy to get confused between something that's serious and something that's effective. And I mean, my example for this that I harp on again and again is American Crime, and that it's a very serious show. It's very dramatic. It's over dramatic to me. It's melodramatic in a bad way, um, and it makes it unrealistic. And just because it's so serious, and just because it's dealing with topics that are relevant to today doesn't make it necessarily a, a well-constructed, well-written, well-executed television program. Um, and that to me is where you have to try to make those little differences when you come down to that, that ranking, when you come down to putting something on a list and maybe you are looking at, you know, something as, as well done and serious and and opening up important discussions as Jessica Jones or transparent or something like that. And then you have to weigh it against a comedy like Veep, which, you know, deals with some topical issues, especially when it comes to politics and, and the political games in particular. But for the most part, it's just, a, a an amazing exercise in in, in lethal uh, insults and how to construct episodes and how to how to block characters and how to you know move from one thing to the other flawlessly and acting obviously anyway there's a lot of things that go into Veep but um, but yeah like it's 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 an interesting question to pose yeah I mean this year I will say uh, I think comedy comedy is going to have a lot a much easier time of it because there were a lot of comedies this year that dug into really serious issues like you're the worst and Bojack Horseman I think are going to are have have probably have probably a stronger stronger chance of competing than say like a couple years ago when you've got Big Bang Theory versus Mad Men right yeah I. Even as a, as someone who almost always picks comedy, there's no way I would choose. I would make that choice. Well, yes, but I mean, even <laughs> even even if like let's say let's say that, uh, Big Bang Theory was your kind was a comedy you enjoyed, you'd still it's still like very much, it's very much like a broad, high. It's very much a broad comedy versus say something that has a darker tone to it. Right, and and I I don't think you're necessarily making this uh, inference, but I I would disagree that. The people that I would agree that there are people who do this, and that you know they'll look at you're the worst. They'll look at BoJack Horseman, and they'll say, "Well, yeah, it's really funny, 
some of the time, but it's also got these really dark elements that it brings into play, so it's really dramatic, and that makes it better. And I don't agree with that. I think you, if it's funny all the way through and it's really well-done comedy, that is just as difficult and just as important as those dramas that are out there. So um, if it came down to a show like you're talking about where it was just a great, you know, superb drama and a great superb comedy and they were, you know, one against the other, which is frankly something I'm going to be dealing with pretty soon in looking at shows like Mad Men and The Leftovers versus shows like Veep and, I mean, even You're the Worst, I I think is incredibly well done comedy before it got dark. Um, You know, that's a very tough decision to make and that's where the subjectivity is going to come into play but you shouldn't just give the edge to it because it's a drama. Yes. Uh, another issue that, that uh, something, something I noticed when putting together this massive master list, if you go to my Twitter account, scroll back a little bit, you'll probably be able to find, uh, I sent out a link to a Google Doc that includes like essentially a rough list of 250 shows that should be considered 2015 contenders. And one of the things I noticed about it going, noticed about putting it together was how young many of the shows were. Like we're talking about a lot of, you know, the best of lists, you know, are going to feature, do feature heavily with uh, shows that are freshmen, sophomores, maybe juniors in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it's, it's, it makes sense in the sense that, you know, that ongoing discussion we're having is about how much more television is coming. And every year there's more television. So that would make sense that over the last, you know, two or three years, there's a lot more uh, younger shows out there and thus more good shows, like much more shows that are going to make the cut for these kind of lists. Um, but yeah, looking at that that amazing Google Doc that you put together, by the way, which is just so good. There's so many uses for that. Guys, have fun. But um <laughs> But yeah, it's 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 kind of still shocking to look at it and see, oh my god, that's a freshman show, it's a sophomore show, that's a junior show. Like these are relatively new, relatively fresh, and um, that poses the question of when you're when it comes to making lists, do you give credence to that? Like, do you do you just judge it? Like, even if it's your first year rookie show, you're like, okay, that was the first year and they did a great job, but who knows what's going to happen later. I don't. Maybe I don't give it as high of a spot because it could get worse or it could get better. I mean, um, I try not to look at those things, but I know some people do. And then it also goes to um, the fact that if a show is new, it's gonna, it might be having a harder time getting out there. It might have a hard time um, finding uh, an audience, and then you want to make sure that it does find that audience, so you might be more inclined to put it on your list than something that's got great reviews, great... Uh, great ratings and, and a huge following. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I, I'm really torn about Mr. Robot uh, and whether or not where it belongs on my list because that's a show that objectively is great, was really well executed throughout the first season. But I have a lot of... I, I, I feel like I'm going to watch season two, and season two could go off the rails really easily. I feel like there are elements of season one that could play as indulgent and yeah and I would and would I look back on my 2015 list in 2016 and be like oh man I gave this I put Mr. Robot on my best of list what was I thinking (laughs) yeah it's a fair point and it's something where you can definitely feel that way but my greater worry is that I look back at the list and think of season one in and of itself as not as good as I thought it was maybe I only saw it one time through and it was really fun that one time but I don't want to see it again or I saw it again and it didn't live up to you know my my memory of it. Um, but there's plenty of shows that are one hit wonders that I would be very proud to 
to have on my list that year and then never talk of again. Like and what? Like Californication. <laughs> <laughs> that that first season of Californication, I would absolutely have it on my top 10 list for whatever year that was uh, because it was perfect. It was one of those just really well-made, like a, it had a full arc behind it. It it really felt like it should end at that at the end of season one, but then it went on for six more years um, and kind of went down the tubes, a little bit off the rails. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd still, I'm still very proud and very vocal supporter of that show just for that first season. Sure. I think there, there are shows that, yeah, I mean, like I would say there's like maybe there's at least one season of fringe that is pretty much perfect. And then, you know, the seasons around it, maybe not so much. Like there's always, there's always like going to be the optimum season for a show and yeah, rewarding it in its year feels fair. And really, I mean, if you're looking at TV lists, it's kind of the only way to do it because we're going to also be talking about, you know, a season five of a show. And if that fifth season, you know, it's a great show, but maybe it wasn't the best uh, of the series or it just isn't the best of the year. Like there's other seasons that year that are better. That's really the only way we can compare it. We can't bring in the past to make, you know, to, to build up the reputation of this, of this other, sh of, of the new season. So it's a, uh, it's kind of one of the things you have to fall back on when you're making these lists and maybe one of the comforting elements in that they're all subjected to just one season. There's not more than that. It's just what is in that year. You know, though, that, that makes me think though of a really fun party game for people who, people like us, which is like matching up like shows that maybe didn't air at the exact same time, but like season by season, like, how does how does breaking would Breaking Bad season one beat Mad Men season one in a fight? Oh my God, that would be that would be fun. Oh man, yeah. I, how do you make that into a game? Or I don't know. You could do. Oh, there's there's. Well, I never remember the name of this game, but there's the game where you actually can you pick sides. Like you get a card. Oh, it's called Scruples. You get a card that provi provides a situation, and then you kind of read the situation, and the person, uh, like the other players, vote on what they think the person will say, like whether they'll oh. like go one way or the other, and then the person says what they'll say, and if the people disagree with them, they think that person's lying or they think they wouldn't make that choice, then they get into a big discussion and argument about it. So you could kind of you know, modify that a little bit to have a battle of the shows. That could be a fun game. Yeah, fantastic. A whole new business model uh, for IndieWire. This is our last podcast. We're quitting. We're going into the gaming business. Yep, totally lucrative uh, opportunities there. <laughs> Obviously, everyone loves board games. That's that's the hot new thing. Yeah. So here's one one other element of making the top ten list, which I think we've touched on, which is what do you put? You know, what when you when you're making your top ten list, how obvious do you want to be? Like, I mean. I, I, I always verge. I, I'm, a, I'm the kind of person who I like to make sure that my ha at least half of my top ten list is stuff I don't think everyone else is going to have there. Oh, that's interesting. I don't, I don't really think about that. Yeah? I, um, I mean, maybe it's just that <laughs> some of my picks, like, you know, The Leftovers or Kingdom, aren't universally adored. Um, <laughs> So I don't have to worry about something like but do that. You, but you do you think? But you know that's what I'm talking about. Though. Like you don't worry about like people. You don't suspect that other people will put Kingdom on their list. Well, I I, I don't suspect that they will. But if everybody was going to, I wouldn't really affect my rating of it. Like I mean, last year we had Mad Men at the top of our list, and I I would hope that a lot of other people had it on there, if only because I want that show to get the respect it deserves. Like a, a part of me just wants these shows that I'm praising to have 
the recognition and and the audience that I think that they they deserve, and that's part of the the element that goes into it. That more people would put it at the top of their list, or more people would have it on their list in general. I mean, it does kind of speak to the fact that you know, from 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 our standpoint, the, making these top ten lists is basically the closest we get to like having our own little award show. Um, it's true. And so, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe it's obvious that the Emmy goes to Mad Men, but you know. That doesn't mean that for us, you know, you know, maybe it's obvious that the Emmy goes to Mad Men, so therefore for us, it should be that the number one slot on the list goes to Mad Men. I didn't even think about this until right now, but when you brought up award shows and then this this part of the conversation makes me think that, God, maybe I want to put Mad Men on my list higher to make up for its ridiculous loss to Game of Thrones at this year's Emmys. I don't want to, I don't want to, to go out like that. That's so embarrassing for such a great show. Oh, you're so mad about that. I'm still upset. I won't I won't let it affect me too much. But needless sure. to say, Game of Thrones will not be on my list. Yeah, it's not on mine either, actually. And I think, I mean, and I think part of that is because it, it. I don't like the obvious choices. Like, yeah, of course, you know, Mad Men, ha- even with Mad Men, like, I, there's part of me that's like, oh, I don't, if my list, my top, I don't want my top 10 list to look exactly like everyone else's top 10 list. And I think that's the danger. It's like, uh, I think, and part, I think that's part of what contributes to like top ten list fatigue. Is oh great, somebody thinks Fargo's a good show, they put it at number two on their list. Kelsey Breeze, everyone else did that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's that's a fair point. From a reader standpoint, maybe you want to be surprised, or maybe you want to see something on there that you haven't seen, you know, that you haven't been bombarded with over the course of the year. But at the same point, some part of me also thinks that maybe it's comforting for readers or for for me too. Like, I mean, I'm I'm a reader just as much as anybody else, and if I see kind of a unified front behind very specific shows, then I'll feel comfortable that I've seen them or I'll know what I need to watch next. Um, and that that to me is is a very big deal. Like that's especially when there's so much television out there. Knowing what you need to be caught up on is a big deal. And if you're given 60 different shows because you because everyone on their everyone when they're making their list just wants to be different then you're not actually going to be watching the best you're just going to be watching more of the pretty good TV. Yeah, as 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 Land Graf would refer to it. Which isn't a bad thing. Like it's good to watch as much TV as you can. There's a lot of great TV. There's more than 10 great television shows out there, so. Oh god. I I have to say uh so when I was making my top 10 list, I ended up uh I got it down to 15 and I actually was really happy with the 15, my 15. Like, yeah. like I it's like, I felt really good about it. And I realized that, I mean, it, it, there's, there's part of me that like, maybe the number 10 is just a pain in the ass. Like if we get those, getting those extra five picks, like, it's just like, Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I like the way we structured our list last year where we had the official indie wire list of the top 10 and then we both picked five more that we wanted to, you know, draw attention to or that maybe would have made our personal list or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting <laughs> it's an interesting idea kind of how people react to making lists too because there's a lot of critics out there who hate making lists. They hate the idea that they're forced to, to choose just 10 shows and they rebel against this as much as they can either by, you know, choosing more or by refusing to rank them or by, you know, doing any of those kind of reader service ideas because they want people to engage in the discussion more than just look at a list and then, you know, move away. Um, but I will say I love making lists. I, I do. It, it helps me feel organized and in control and kind of, 
kind of, I don't know, like a, like a nice little summary. So when I can look back on the year, I can be like, okay, this was the year of this. And that, I don't know, makes me feel good. No, that's, it is helpful. Uh, something, and I, I like the fact that we also do, we do a, uh, Best. We do. We. I, I'm actually more excited for. I, we're we're going to do our top ten list, but I'm also more excited for like the more breakout lists we, we're going to do, such as best episodes, best new shows. Well, best new shows basically is the same thing, but best episodes. Uh, we might do our breakthrough actors list again, which I, I I'm thinking about now as being a really a really good opportunity for us to, to highlight individual performances. Uh, one idea, this is actually something, uh, I haven't mentioned to you, but I was thinking about for our best episodes of the year list, we could do that, or we could do a version of it where it doesn't include any shows that are on our top 10 list. Like, so it's just like breakthrough episodes of shows that we don't recognize for, don't recognize in the top 10 area. Yeah. I mean, it's a, that's a good way to broaden the scope and to, to allow more, like to get more attention out there for, for some of the less obvious choices or, you know, just to, to draw attention to the shows that deserve it in a time when we're narrowing things down to 10, 10, 10 shows. Yes. Cause as, as already said, 10 is too few. There are just, there's so many shows out there, guys. It's so, it's so intimidating and wonderful, but intimidating. Yes, but we've got a few more weeks before we're going to, we've got at least two weeks before we start, we really dig into it. So it, it gives us plenty of time to catch up with things and make sure that, and oh God, get mentally ready for Ben hating Jessica Jones and then the incredible fight we're going to have over it. Oh my God, that would be amazing. Uh, it's so rare when we get into those like really heated confrontations over shows. But it, it happens about three times a year and every time it's really fun. I don't think I remember three times this year, Liz. I think we we had that we had we had a really big fight over uh, ranking the uh, Netflix opening credits. Well, that's yeah, but that's personal, Liz. I mean, come on, opening credits—that's a big deal. I'm just saying there are too many buildings in the House of Cards intro, and it doesn't need to be a minute and a half long. Well, you know what? That's you know, I'm just saying that the Orange is the New Black opening is frankly not in connection with the show and doesn't do its service and breaks off the tone and frankly just isn't very well made. Welcome. You, you, that's basically the close notes of that argument we had, uh, <laughs> yeah. listener. Um, over over like I don't know how many I am exchanges for days. I think I made you get on Skype. I made I made you talk this out with words. We did eventually resort to Skype, yes. Yes, uh, and we might actually have to do that as well with our f- official final top ten list. And you might even get to hear a glimpse of it. Who knows? Who knows what we can make happen with the magic of podcasting? I really, I think I'm just going to put the leftovers in every slot. Just one through ten. One, the leftovers. Two, the leftovers. And then maybe people will freaking watch it. And then maybe <laughs> it'll get picked up for a season three. It, the ball's in, pop, Parada's co- in HBO's court, not Parada's court. Come on, HBO. Just do me a favor. Just this one favor. Just this one little thing of green lighting, like six seasons worth of television. That's all I'm asking. Is that too much? No, it's totally reasonable. I think so, too. Ben, another reasonable question I have for you is, what was the best thing you watched last week? (laughs) Well, it's funny that you were just asking, well, that we were just talking about The Leftovers, because we never do that. (laughs) No, never. Clearly, the best thing I watched last week was... The latest episode of The Leftovers. Of I, course. Oh, God. It's so good. I, 
I mean, they've almost set the bar so high that I expect the the ending to be a, a bit of a letdown because I, I, but I think that every week, I think every week, how are they going to top this? And they keep topping it. So um, it's definitely leftovers. But I'll give I'll give a small shout out to uh, to something that obviously all TV fans, all of our listeners care about, uh, which is college football and my beloved Iowa Hawkeyes, who have gone twelve and zero for the first time since the nineteen twenties. Uh, undefeated regular season, heading into the Big Ten championship game against Michigan State next year or next uh, next week. Uh, go Hawkeyes! God bless America, and and I love Iowa. Aww, and uh, you're, I I actually caught the end of the uh, Bears uh, Bears Packers game, and shocking. And uh, at, at during on Thanksgiving Day, and I was like, oh, I imagine Ben will be happy about this. I was I was just shocked into a stupor. I really did not expect to go into Green Bay on the night they honor Brett Favre and beat the Packers, which, God, just made it so much sweeter. He's so terrible. Um, <laughs> but Liz, please save us. Please make our listeners happy and tell us something actually <laughs> fresh and new, or at least TV-related, uh, scripted TV-related for your, your best thing you watched last week. Well, uh, there's a bigger conversation to be had about why this only happened last night, but... I finally, it, it, as part of my preparation, I was like, okay, I just need to sample some of the, this this season six of Community, which sounds like it will be the last season of Community, at least on Yahoo. And I was really impressed. Like, it was just like it was just really good television. It was Community on the level that I'd come to know and love all these years. And you know, I I, I do miss the old cast members, but uh, Keith David and Paget Brewster were really fun. And I was just like, oh, man, why, why didn't we watch this show? Why I talk about we in the general sense of America. And I, it's, it's a going to be a, it's a fascinating problem, question, et cetera, for, for, for the television ages. And because I think it is deeper than just, oh, man, no one, watched, no one knows how to go to Yahoo. Because I don't think that's true. It's, I don't know. It's weird. But the show itself was really good. Uh, I find Keith David adorable and everyone else was really <laughs> nice to see. And I think what's great about community, what was really interesting is that they are letting, they, they have uh, some real, they, they build in the, the Jeff Winger character, some, uh, a new whole new level of vulnerability that really impressed me. So I, I haven't finished the full season yet, but I really enjoyed reconnecting with a show that I thought I had complete, I, I didn't have any more of. It's a good. It's a great pick, and I agree with you about the cast of the show in general, and and kind of the the mystifying response or lack of response to it. Uh, because yeah, you're right. I mean, people know how to go to Yahoo. I feel like a lot of people knew that it was on Yahoo, so it wasn't necessarily just an, an advertising or branding issue. Um, but you know, with the cast changeover and and with how many seasons it had been, and then uh, you know, it's always struggled in the ratings. You know, maybe it was just past time to go but uh but yeah we'll be wondering for a while i actually i have my one theory is that if if they tried to do it a week by they tried to do it a, as a weekly release and i think launching a platform uh, launching a platform as a viewing alternative like maybe could have benefited from the binge model like it like having like a putting a massive amount of publicity push into the binge model versus trying to get people invested week after week might have been a different way to go but I think it's. I think that's a good point and, and a much larger discussion. So I'll, I'll keep it brief. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think knowing that a service, 
produces original series that you can binge all at once is more attractive to viewers than one that releases weekly, even though the strategy of weekly releases sounds like a good business model. So uh, it's an, yeah, again, there's so many ways that you can explain what happened to community. And I don't know if anyone will ever know exactly yeah. what happened. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a discussion worth having in, in detail. I think it's something you're, you're work, you're writing actually something about this right now uh, in long, but uh, when we get to it, it'll we'll we'll dig into it more fully. Meanwhile, Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, I brought this up when we were talking about what was left this season, like what was left in in 2015 to be excited about. Right. Um, and as I was watching, well, actually, as I was writing about the leftovers and watching Sunday Night Football last night, uh, I was bombarded with advertisements for telenovela. Uh, Ava Longoria's new sitcom on NBC, which premieres, oh God, for all those ads, I already forgot when it premiered. It's like it's, December 13th or it's 7th. It's next week. Is it? Yeah, it's next week. Um, and they're doing a little sneak preview before the whole show launches in early January. But the trailers look good, and I'm still very excited for the show. I still like uh, Ms. Longoria a lot as an actress. Um, she's also a very interesting producer. Never forget, she was a producer on John Wick, which is just awesome. Um, That's hilarious. It's fantastic. Uh, and, and I like the rest of the cast too. I think it's a good idea. I think it has you know legs behind it. So uh, so I'm very excited to see telenovela. Cool, cool. What about you, Liz? What's your next thing? Uh, well, something that's going to be coming out mid January that I'm pretty excited for. It. I think it's one of those shows where I, I really want other people to be excited for it because I think it's a really cool idea and the execution's really interesting. Is Colony, uh, which is USA's next big. Uh, attempt to, you know, build their drama brand in, in interesting directions. Uh, and it's, if you haven't heard the premise, Los Angeles is under occupied rule. It's been, uh, it's been broken up into, broken up into little districts. And, uh, there's this seemingly ordinary family trying to live an ordinary life under these pretty extreme circumstances, but things are, things go much bigger than you can imagine. And I mean, it's it, the show itself dances around this question. It's aliens. It, it's clear. It's clear. It's aliens. But it, it it's aliens. It's always aliens. It's always aliens. With everything I'm watching in the next month, it's probably aliens. Uh, but the thing about Colony is that they, you know, I, I'm not spoiling anything by saying it because the point of the show is that it could be aliens. It could be mermen. It could be nazi germany like the the themes of the show are, are they, the show tries to take a universal approach to the subject matter like it's it doesn't matter that it's aliens what matters is the human stories happening on the surface and so That's yeah great. yeah i'm I mean, so yeah there is me at aliens well of course i had you in aliens <laughs> uh but yeah it should, it, it's 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 one i'm look, i'm looking i'm hoping uh I'm hoping has legs to it. I've seen the pilot and I really liked it. And now I've got a few more episodes to check out and yeah, it should be fun. Screener time. Screener time. Continues. Oh goodness. Yes. Screener mountain just gets bigger and bigger because there's Never all this ends. television and we get to write about it at IndieWire.com where you can find reviews, interviews, features, uh, lists, all sorts of fun stuff, uh, especially leading into the end of the year when we go look back on what's come before. And I can't speak to exactly if they'll be. Uh, I, I can't speak to what kind of lists or if they'll have lists on other IndieWire podcasts. But you better believe that they're going to have some great end of year coverage at Screen Talk with Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson. 
Um, Oscars are happening. Sylvester Stallone is a contender. You want to hear him talk about that, so make sure you tune in. Um, and then our editor-in-chief, Dana Harris, is still hosting the IndieWire Influencers podcast, which is going great, having a ton of fan- fascinating guests. I was catching up on some old episodes uh, just recently. She spoke to somebody who um, cuts a lot of trailers for award season, and and that was a really, really interesting discussion. So make sure you tune into those as well. Isn't he the, he the trailer guy who like cuts the winning trailers? Like He cut the trailer yeah. for Birdman. What did he do this year? Um, uh, the Revenant? I maybe. I keep getting all these end of year movies mixed up. Yeah, he definitely does. Uh, Cool. Yes, and you can find Ben on Twitter, probably talking about Creed and Sylvester Stallone, at Ben T. Travers. And you can find Liz on Twitter, probably talking about aliens, at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. Oh, there's no probably about it. I'm talking about aliens. (laughs) It's always aliens. It's it's just just all those shows on the big list of TV shows that came out this year, they're only shows that have aliens in them, which is a surprising number of shows. 250. Minimum. Anyways, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, keep watching television. (laughs) 